You know, we, uh, we really live in a strange time uh, when most of us long for authentic relationships, but we're surrounded by so much that's counterfeit. You know, it, it pretends to be real and it's not. Uh, makes me think about the rise in popularity over the last couple of dec- decades of reality TV. I don't know if I have any reality TV fans out here. Uh, but the interesting thing is you talk to people, and the, the idea behind this, right, is that you get a glimpse into kind of behind the curtain and what life is like and, you know, the, the real stuff that happens in competitions or shows or whatever. Talk to somebody who's been on one of those shows, and they'll tell you there's nothing real about it. We pretend to, you know, to give the real deal so often when we don't. And I, I think that, but it's that desire. It's the, I want to, to, to put my hands around and understand and see something, be a part of something that's real. And I think that, that was really the, the impetus behind social media as well, especially early on. You know, in the early days of social media, it was more about celebrities and, you know, letting you see a little bit about them and their lives and get a glimpse into them and that you never would have the opportunity, you know, normal people like us would never have a chance to see that. And, and so there was some draw to that of seeing what it's like and, you know, who they are and those kinds of things. Um, now, of course, I think we'd all agree that social media has become anything but authentic uh, because now it's just really more about portraying a certain image. Nobody posts on social media a video of them arguing with their spouse or their kids, right? That's, the, that's not what you put out there. And uh, by the way, that's probably a good thing for those. There are a few people always that want to put all that kind of stuff out there. If you're one of those, stop it, okay? That's not the, the platform for that. That's not a good idea. But my point in all that is you know, we, I think we crave authenticity, but we're surrounded by the counterfeit. And we as the people of God, as, as the church, we ought to be the ones leading the charge with authenticity. And sadly, even that's not the case a lot of times. In fact, when a lot of people think about Christians or they think in particular about churches, probably what they think about in many cases are TV preachers that are trying to swindle people out of their money. Or they think about people who you know, rail against certain sins publicly and then privately they're doing the exact same things that they're preaching against. And sadly, sometimes that's true. But I'm also encouraged by what I see as a movement within the church toward a greater level of authenticity. And, and many times even from stage, even publicly, there is a greater level of openness and authenticity. And that, that encourages me when I see that because it's important. We need that. Uh, we, we need to be the ones leading the charge there. But at the same time, I mean, even it's not just those in leadership, the average church person, the average Christian has kind of been conditioned about, you know, how to, to portray ourselves as having it all together and uh, not necessarily as quick to uh, open up when we're struggling. And so uh, we, we got a little bit of that t- just a few minutes ago, by the way, and that's totally not intentional. But today is Senior Sunday, which is a wonderful thing. We get to celebrate our kids and stand them up here on stage, and then they get to tell us what their plans are for the future. I mean, stop and think about that for a minute. That's not intended, of course, to, to be a thing, but, but there's pressure that's felt from that, right? It's like, okay, I'm graduated from school. Now what am I going to do next? 
And there's just all these different phases that we go through in life where we feel this pressure to perform and we feel this pressure to present in a certain way. Um, and that's just kind of how it is. So today, we are going to continue on uh, with our series about our five priorities as a church called Aligned. And just to review, and we'll, we'll put the, the graphic up here for you so you can see that again, but just to review where we've been so far, we, we started out by talking about how we invite others to Christ in the church. Uh, we relate to our community and culture. Last week, we talked about how we apply the Bible to real life. And then today, we're going to talk about this. We cultivate authentic relationships. And this is so, so very important for us individually. We need this as individual believers. But those who are not believers, the unbelieving world needs to see this in us too. They need to see authenticity. And so we, we're going to jump into that and, and, and talk about that a little bit further. And that word cultivate is a word that we chose carefully. So we talked through these different things and the wording of them and kind of refined a little bit before we came out with it uh, publicly. But that word cultivate is one that we discussed a little bit and we decided that we wanted to keep it because, I mean, think about this. We have... Some of you are, are gardeners, right? You have a green thumb. You're able to, to do certain things. Uh, you're able to grow certain things. I, I, I see someone sitting in the back there. I won't call out by name that I know does that very well because I've had a chance to go and, and, and visit her and see. She grows flowers in her home and has all this amazing stuff, you know, light lamps and, and I don't know what all it is, but she could tell you all about it and and, and it takes a lot of work. I know that, right? It doesn't just happen overnight. I mean, you kind of have to know what you're doing and you have to put in the time and the effort and know, you know, when do you trim and when do you water and when do you feed and what kind of light's needed and all that kind of stuff. Cultivating is not easy work. Cultivating says that I have to really put some effort into this. And when it comes to developing authentic relationships, it's not going to happen on its own. We have to cultivate that. We have to be the ones to put in some work. And so I think it's important for us to acknowledge that on the front end and understand that's where we're going. Uh, and then I want you to open your Bible with me to 1 Thessalonians 2, which is a great example of the Apostle Paul talking about how he did ministry. And I think we're going to see from what he had to say that he spent a lot of time cultivating these authentic relationships as well. But this passage that we'll read here in just a moment... Um, was written probably about three months after Paul preached in Thessalonica, which is recorded in Acts chapter 17. In Acts 17, it says that on three different Sabbaths, he preached in the synagogues. But the scholars, most scholars will tell us they think he was there for about three months total. And uh, this is what took place over the time that he was there. And then he is writing to them soon after leaving because he's wanting to encourage them to continue on in their faith. All right, so let's pick it up in verse 5. 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 5 says, You know we never use flattery, nor do we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. We were not looking for praise from people, not from you or anyone else. Even though as apostles of Christ, we could have asserted our authority. Instead, we were like young children among you. Just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. Because we loved you so much... We were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. So Paul is reminding his readers here, basically what he's saying is, look, that we, had, we were authentic among you, we invested in you, we wanted to build a relationship with you, and we'll, we'll dig in and, and uh, uh, 
talk a little bit about some things that we see him doing here that will help us to learn from that as well. But I want us to put ourselves in the shoes of the recipients here. When, when he's saying these things, he's reminding them, this is what I did among you. Let's just put ourselves in their shoes because essentially we, that, that's, Paul is speaking to us in a sense. I mean, when he, write, when he wrote this letter, he was not thinking in those terms, but this was inspired by the Holy Spirit. God knew what he was doing. He knew that this would be part of Scripture that we would have, and so it really is for us, and it really does apply to us. And so beginning in verse 5, first thing I want us to see here is that if we want to cultivate authentic relationships, we must be completely honest with one another. And he, he gives a couple of examples here where he avoids inauthenticity. That's a mouthful, isn't it? But Two things. The first one, he says, we never use flattery. Because flattery is a way to avoid being authentic. You know, if, if you can flatter someone, then you may not really have to develop a real authentic relationship. You know, there's a difference between encouragement and flattery. The Bible says that we should encourage one another. And so when we see things in one another, we should point those things out. Good things and encourage one another. That's good. Flattery is different in this. Flattery is taking it to another level that is intended to manipulate that person in some way. So when we flatter someone, we're trying to influence that person in a certain direction. This goes beyond simple encouragement to you know, something with a, with a motivation that is, that is not pure. And it's interesting to see what the rest of Scripture says about flattery. Wouldn't you think, I mean, just that's really not that big of a deal, right? If you flatter someone, no big deal, really. What's the harm? But then I read verses like Proverbs 26, 28. It says, a lying tongue hates those it hurts, and a flattering mouth works ruin. Now, the lying tongue, I think we get, right? It's like, yeah, that's very dangerous. But how many of us would recognize that flattery is just as dangerous as a lying tongue? And in a sense, is one way of utilizing a lying tongue. And so he's saying, that, that's not what we did. We didn't come to you trying to flatter you. You know, he was willing to tell them the truth. Now, yes, he was encouraging to them. But he was truthful to, with them. And then the second thing, the second, second example where they um, maintain their authenticity, he says, we didn't put on a mask to cover up greed. Again, keep in mind that the culture at that time, masks were used and stage plays and things like that to uh, go into a different type of a character. So you put a mask on to pretend to be somebody else. And he's saying, we did not do that. We didn't pretend to, to be, you know, to have one motive when really our, our true motive was greed. We were trying to get something out of you. He said, no, that's, that's not what we did. And you know that. And he's reminding them of that. Um, that, that basically saying, look, we, we were very um, honest with you. We were upfront with you. You know what our motivation was. Sometimes, as church people, we've been conditioned to not do such a good job here. We've been conditioned that, you know, if, if we are people of God, then everything is supposed to be good all the time. And the mask that we often put on is the mask that I'm fine and everything is good. Somebody asks you, how you doing? How you doing? I mean, you're, you have an initial response. Just when I say that, the first thing that pops in your mind is probably I'm fine, doing well. I mean, like, it's just a conditioned response that we have, right? It's kind of like, you ever see ducks? 
moving across the top of a pond, don't they just look so graceful? You know, they just kind of glide across the top of the water. And what you don't see is underneath, they're just doing this, right? Their little feet are just got going like crazy underneath. They're working hard, but you don't see that underneath the surface. And I think we, we try to be like ducks, right? We, we try to look to everyone else like everything's, we're just kind of gliding across the top of the water. Everything is good. We don't want anybody to see underneath it. We're just going at it and swimming and working and sweating and struggling, why? I mean, I look at the life of Jesus, and we'll come back to an example from him later on. But even one of the things that he said, he said, in this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I've overcome the world. I mean, Jesus said that we're to expect that life is going to be difficult. See, sometimes I think our, our, our misunderstanding here comes from a false theology. It's a theology that says if you're right with God, you're not going to have problems in this life. Everything's going to be smooth sailing. And if you believe that, then you don't want anybody else to see that something's not right in your life because that means you're not right with God. And if you're not right with God, you certainly don't want anybody else to know it. And so this false theology that everything is supposed to be good all the time can lead us toward uh, not being authentic, toward putting on a mask and covering things up. So... It begins with us being honest with each other. Didn't use flattery, didn't cover up with a mask, but then you get into verse 6, and it continues on, and he says, we were not looking for praise from people, not from you or anyone else. Here's the second thing. If we want to, to, to cultivate authentic relationships, we must never seek approval from people. That's what he says here. Isn't this great? That, isn't it amazing how many different just real life aspects the Bible dives into. Struggle with, with being a, a people pleaser. Well, Paul says, he addresses it. Not looking for approval from you or anyone else. And this isn't the only place where he says that. Galatians 1.10 says, am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. Now, if you're being totally honest, which I'm encouraging us all to do today, right? Anybody struggle with this one? <laughs> Any people pleasers out there? It's like, yeah, it's hard for me if I feel like I'm not pleasing someone, if I'm not meeting someone's expectations. And that can drive us, if we're not careful, that can drive us toward not being authentic because we're just going to say what we think someone wants to hear or we're going to do what we think is expected of us rather than really being honest. And so if that's the case, and I, I know a lot of us struggle with that, let me share with you just a couple of thoughts that I hope will encourage you. And the first one is, is this reminder that you are fully known and fully loved by God, period, just as you are. You are fully known and fully loved by God. And here's the thing, God knows everything, even if nobody else does. God knows everything that you've ever done. He knows everything that you've ever said. He knows every thought that you've ever had. And he loves you anyway. He loves you anyway. God doesn't love you based on your performance or worthiness. I'm going to say that again. Somebody needs to hear that twice today. God doesn't love you based on your performance or worthiness. God loves you based on his character. That's who he is. God loves you because he created you to have a relationship with him. In fact, we see the ultimate expression of that 
in the gospel itself. And, and God's choosing to say, I'm going to become, I'm going to send my, my only begotten son to become a sin offering for you because I love you that much. I want to cover your sins so that you can have a relationship with me. The greatest expression of God's love for us in spite of our sinfulness is Christ and him going to the cross for us. And we simply need to respond in faith and trust in him. And when we do that, our sins are forgiven. We're covered. And that can happen. That can happen for you right now if you haven't yet come to a point of trusting in Christ. If you'll simply turn to him and say, Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you died on the cross for me. You rose from the dead. You gave yourself for me. And now I want to surrender my life to you. I'm going to trust in you. I mean, right now, you can just whisper up a prayer like that and be saved from your sins. Become a, a, a daughter, a son of God. That's the offer that God gives to us. He loves us. I was reading this week, uh, just in my devotional time, I came across a verse. You know, sometimes you've, I'm sure I've read it many times before, but it just jumped out at me in a, in a fresh way. Psalm 65.3 says, when we were overwhelmed by sins, you forgave our transgressions. Love that verse. When we were overwhelmed by sins, you forgave our transgressions. The truth is we are overwhelmed by our sins. But at the point that we trust in Christ, that verse becomes very personal. It's when I was overwhelmed by my sins, you forgave my transgressions. That's what God does for us because he loves us. Once we realize that we are forgiven, once we realize that we are accepted and loved by God, and, and we're a work in progress, God doesn't just leave us the way we are, but once we realize that, then suddenly what other people think about us doesn't carry so much weight, right? Now, I don't think we'll ever get to a point where we just totally don't care, if we're being honest. We don't think we'll ever not care what other people think about us. But we can get to a point where that's not what motivates us. Our motivation is, I know that God loves me. I know that I belong to him. And so my greatest desire is, is just to, to honor him. And so if somebody else knows the truth about me and they don't like it, well, I know that God loves me. And there's great security in that. And so you're fully known and fully loved by God. That's the first thing I want to remind you of. And the second one is this, that you can be fully known and fully loved by others. You can experience that. Some of us have bought into a lie that if people knew everything about us, if, they, if we were fully known, that they would probably run the other direction in fear, right? They would just scream in terror and say, I want nothing to do with that person. Oh, my goodness, I cannot believe what that person has done or said, and they would run away. And that's a lie. In fact, you know that Jesus, one of the titles that he gave to Satan, he says that he is the father of lies. At one point, he says that when he lies, he's speaking his native language. So Satan gives us all kinds of lies, but one of the biggest ones that is so effective is this lie that we can't let people fully know us or they would run away. That's a lie a lot of us believe. A lot of you maybe are still living in that and believing that lie today. But have you ever had somebody who opened up to you about something, maybe confessed a certain weakness in their life or a struggle they were going through or maybe a sin that they were dealing with and they were very honest with you and just opened up and shared it. Did that make you want to run away from that person? Probably exactly the opposite, right? When somebody is open and authentic with us, rather than causing us to run away, generally what that does is it draws us in. 
Because like, okay, this is somebody who's being real that I can relate to and, and, and be a part of and, and, and help. And so the lie is that we won't be fully loved if we are fully known. The truth is that we can't be fully loved until we are fully known. And so Paul is just so open with them here in, 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 in talking about how, look, we're, we're not looking for praise from you. But then you continue on in verse 7. Instead, we were like young children among you, just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Here's the last thing I want to share with you today. If we want to cultivate authentic relationships, we must invest in relationships. That's what Paul is talking about here. He's saying, look, we invested in you. And the example that he gives, what a, what a beautiful example that he gives here um, about a nursing mother. You want to talk about a great example of investing heavily in a relationship. <laughs> I can't think of a better example. Uh, not, of course, by personal experience. I never have been and never will be a nursing mother, but my wife was, and I saw what that was like. And it seemed to me when our kids were little that all she did was nurse the babies. I mean, it was like, you know, you just all day long. It seemed like you finished and it's time to start again. And I know that if it seemed that way to me, it must have seemed that way to her for sure. And even those that are not able to nurse, if you are bottle feeding a child, same thing. It's just a constant commitment, right? You're constantly having to prepare formula if you can find it nowadays, right? Prepare the formula, clean the bottles, do all this stuff. I mean, there is a, an incredible level of investment in that relationship between a mom and her baby. And it's interesting that Paul uses that analogy here to talk about his investment in them and also to talk about the level of intimacy in that relationship, right? I mean, you go back to what he said earlier, um, in verse 6, he says, even though as apostles we could have asserted our authority, he said, that's not how we operated. It wasn't that we came in very authoritarian and said, this is what's going to happen. Do this. No, he, his example is a nursing mother. That's, that's much more tender. It's much more intimate. Now, certainly that, that mother is still leading that child, right, and providing what is needed for that child. But it's done in a very relational way, a very tender type of a way requires a lot of love and a lot of sacrifice. And there is a bond that is built there between a baby and that baby's mom. And that's what he's, what he's using as an example of their relationship. And so um, there's intimacy there. It requires openness on the part of the mom, right? I mean, that, that mother has to open herself to that child in a way that she doesn't to anyone else except for her husband. And so there, there is a level of openness that is required, not just on the one who is being you know, fed and cared for, but there's an openness that is required on the, on the part of the person who's doing the feeding as well. And as we look at opportunities we have to to invest in relationships, whether we're on the giving or receiving end, that openness is, is so important. So let me just sort of say this as bluntly as I can. If you're unwilling to open yourself by exposing some of your sins or weaknesses or insecurities, you will never cultivate authentic relationships. 
It's not going to happen until we are willing to be open ourselves. If you're used to helping other people, this is going to be a hard one for you. Because so often we get in this mode of I'm the helper. I'm the one who does to care for everyone else. And the one who's always caring for everyone else often has a hard time being cared for. But we also must open ourselves to others. If we, if we want to develop authentic relationships, we've got to do that. And the reason I say that, or our example for that, is Jesus himself. If inviting someone into your pain is really difficult for you, let me just, let's look at the example of Christ. Mark chapter 14, the night before Jesus was to be crucified, he's with his disciples. He takes Peter, James, and John with him, and, and, and they go aside for a period of time. This is when Jesus is wrestling in prayer, and actually they end up falling asleep on him, but this is before that happens. Jesus opens up to his disciples and he says this. He says, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. He said to them, stay here and keep watch. This is Jesus who is wrestling with this incredible weight of I'm about to go to the cross. I'm about to die for the sins of mankind. I know that my father's going to have to turn away from me and place all of his wrath on me. And he's, he's feeling the weight of this and he doesn't try to hide it. He doesn't try to carry it by himself. He opens up to his disciples and he says, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. And he asks for prayer. If Jesus can do that, certainly we can too. See, sometimes we convince ourselves, and this is the excuse that we give. And I think it, excuse sounds like a harsh word. It comes from a pure place a lot of times, but really, ultimately, it is. We say, I don't want to be a burden to anybody else. Anybody ever thought that or said that before? I don't want to open up because I don't want to be a burden to someone else. I just want to help other people. I don't want to be a burden to other people. Well, Jesus did. And I think that can be a cover-up for our pride. That can be a cover-up for I don't want anybody to know what's going on with me or to see that I'm really struggling. These authentic relationships is so important. You know, the absolute worst thing that we can do, especially when we're struggling, is to isolate ourselves and keep everything in. How many times do you hear these stories? Something tragic happens to somebody and people are like, I had no idea. I didn't know what they were going through. I mean, we hear that over and over and over again. Don't keep things hidden. Don't keep things, you know, inside where nobody else can see. We need that authenticity that allows us to, to, to open up with others. And you know, the Bible tells us uh, not only is this something that is to be done during difficult times, this is something that is to be done during joyful times as well. Because we are instructed to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. It's both. Both of those require openness, authenticity. And how can you rejoice with me if I don't share my joy with you? How can you weep with me if I don't share my sorrow with you? It requires that we open up to one another. And it's both of those. It's not all just a, a negative thing. And I'll tell you one of the things that happens when we put ourselves in a place of developing authentic relationships is it gives people an opportunity to speak into our lives in ways that they wouldn't have had before. So I'll, I'll get ready to to wrap things up here in a, in a minute, but let me just share a personal story. There's something that happened on Monday, so this is very fresh, okay? 
Monday is a day that, that I'm out of the office, and so I received an email from Stephen. Normally, he would have come and talked to me in person, but I wasn't in the office, and it's something that he thought it'd probably be good for me to know before I came in Tuesday for staff meeting. And, and he shared with me in an email that uh, there was something that, that I had done. It was, a, it was an oversight on my part that was hurtful to one of our staff members. And I read that email, and I'll be real honest, at first I didn't like what I read. But I knew that what he said was exactly right, and I also knew, knowing Stephen, I knew where it was coming from. You know, it's coming from a place of concern, and really it was a, this is really my fault. Everything is his fault. And his, no, it wasn't your fault. It was mine. Um, but I so appreciated receiving that email from him because it put me in a place where I could say, okay, it's not a, it wasn't a huge deal, but it was something that, that I could, like, okay, I can go and have a, a conversation that hopefully will, will be helpful in this situation based on, on him bringing that to my attention. Here's the, the, the thought that came to mind. Stephen's been on staff now for nine years, by the way, you know, today is exactly nine years. Today is his gateway anniversary, so wish him a happy anniversary today. Um, yeah, no, it's exciting. Been here for nine years. Do you think six months in, he would have sent me that email? I doubt it. He sent that email to me because we have developed a relationship over nine years. Because he's been the one that many times I've gone to literally in tears saying, this is what's going on. I'm really struggling with this. And he's, he's been there to, to listen and support and, and vice versa. I've been able to do the same for him. We've developed a relationship. See, when we cultivate authentic relationships, it puts us in a place where we can be honest with one another, where we can share the truth with one another, and frankly, where we can call each other out when we need it sometimes, and we do. But that doesn't happen overnight. Last little story for you. I want to tell you about the story about the bush in my, in my backyard that uh, we planted many, many, many years ago. This was a, a bush that was being thrown out. I probably shared a little bit of this story before in a different context, but a builder was throwing it out. And Sean's like, that's beautiful. Go pick it up. Oh, great. So I pick it up, and we haul that to take apart part of the fence again. And we, we plant it in the back corner of our yard. And we watered it and fed it. We prayed over it. I mean, she wanted that bush to grow. And that sucker just started turning yellow. It started dying. It looked awful. And so Sean's like, I just, just didn't want to give up on it. So we left it sitting there. And um, planted some vines so that it would just kind of, you know, come up over the, the, the uh, branches. But a strange thing happened over a little period of time. Even though the bush itself died, these little shoots started growing up out of the ground, out of the root system. And over a period of years, that bush grew back bigger and more beautiful than it had ever been. Until Snowmageddon hit. A year and a half ago. And our poor little bush started dying again. And that thing's as dead as can be one more time. But I can tell you, there are shoots growing up out of the ground. Again, some of them are probably nearly a foot tall now. And if I come back in a few years, I'll be able to tell you that bush is bigger and more beautiful than it's ever been before, but it's not going to happen tomorrow. See, when we cultivate authentic relationships, they don't just spring up overnight. It takes time, it takes investment, it takes energy, it takes a willingness to be open 
with one another, to expose ourselves in ways that are going to be very uncomfortable. But over time, it produces growth. It is so worth it. Let's pray together. Lord, I do pray today that you will give us the courage that we need to be open with one another. I, I pray that this church body really is a place where we cultivate authentic relationships, Lord. We don't want that just to be uh, something that we say, but something that we really live. So I hope that to be true for each one of us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.